All right. You guys look at the uh, outline this morning. If you didn't get an outline through the door on the right-hand side, you will find outlines. We're going to spend a little bit of time today talking about the Bible's teaching about work. Now, I know that I did touch on this actually about, probably about two weeks ago as we uh, looked through Ecclesiastes. Uh, and then throughout this week, a number of things happened, and I happened to read an article. And then in conjunction with the fact that tomorrow is Labor Day, I thought I'd come back and spend a little bit of time talking about the Bible and work. And we're going to start off really talking about the history of work, uh, not only here within the U.S., uh, but then we'll begin to look at what the Bible shows us about work, and we'll look at some examples. Now, for those of you who are familiar with tomorrow's vacation day, right, who in here has got a vacation day? I do. I don't have to work, and that's because it's Labor Day. Uh, I know that when Labor Day used to first occur, I had no idea what Labor Day was. Uh, but I do love to go back and look at history. So if you don't know much about Labor Day, it actually first occurred back in 1882. There's some dispute as to the two men, the two men who may have been the very first um, to suggest it, but primarily there's one individual they attribute to. <clears throat> and we celebrate Labor Day the very first Monday in September. And here's, here's actually what it says if you go to the, um, the governmental website. It says that it's an annual acknowledgement of the social and economic achievements of American workers. And the holiday began when labor activists pushed for federal holiday to recognize the contributions that workers had made to America's strength and prosperity and well-being. And so in essence, <clears throat> excuse me, in essence what they were doing was they were coming back and they were thanking all of the workers here within the United States. Uh, because we as a nation were a very strong nation. We were prospering at this time. And for those of you who don't know much about America and how it's different than now, we were, we were self-sufficient in virtually all regards. And so they wanted to thank the workers. Now, for many of us today, the simple idea is just that we, we get a day off. And, and granted, we do get a day off, but it's intended uh, to thank those who and to honor those who are hard workers. One of the things you'll notice, and I'm going to touch on it here in a minute, and it's part of the reason I'm speaking on, it, on this, our nation today doesn't really seem to value to the same extent uh, when you begin to talk about hard work uh, as we found with many of the earlier generations. And it's, it's very concerning in some regard. And certainly while we may be a, a much busier society today, I think you'll find that as you look at the older generations, they had a very different work ethic than what we oftentimes see today. Now, I went back and actually looked at a bunch of websites. This was an interesting fact, and I won't go back into uh, the different ratings, but I went to a website uh, called thebalance.com, wasn't familiar with it. I actually got a link from there from the governmental website. Uh, there's two different ways that people track unemployment. One's called the U3 by memory, the other's called U6, and they take in different factors. But here's what I, th I thought was interesting. The U6, uh, re what they call the real unemployment rate, showed that in April we had 22%, actually 20, almost 23% of people who were unemployed or underemployed. I'll touch on that in a minute. And it has improved to the, to the fact that as of July, we now have 9.2% uh, of unemployed or underemployed. So what that means is, is about 10% of able-bodied Americans are choosing either to not work or they're working less than a full-time job uh, when full-time work is desired. So they actually want to work full-time, but for some reason they can't, they can't find that job. We'll touch on that. 
Here's the reason I actually decided to speak on this. As I went from that, I looked at this article. The article is titled, Service Workers Aren't Returning to Work Because They Don't Get Paid Enough. That was a very interesting article. I was curious as to the reason, so I went back and read it. The intent of the article was to address the fact that a number of people are simply not working because they are either making similar money uh, on unemployment or unemployment and, for example, COVID benefits. And so, according to the article that I read, they're deciding if I can make the same amount of money without working, I simply will not work. Let me give you a fact before I give you a couple quotes and we get into our verses. Here's a fact. A person's pay has always been based on primarily two factors. One is education, whether it's collegiate education or on-the-job training. The other fact is uh, that the one's, one's pay rate is also based on work ethic. So that's how it's always been. If you go back, one's education, their ability to do something, whether you were a leather worker, whether you worked in a, in a factory, your skill level, whether you learned it at college or whether you learned it on the job, plus your work ethic determined pay rate. Now, furthermore, there's one more thing. Law of supply and demand and economic competition further dictates the prices of wages. I'm not suggesting it's always fair, but I'm saying that's another factor that we throw in there. And that's how it's always been, okay? Now, I want you to listen closely what the author of the uh, article that I read stated, and this is really why I wanted to address this, because this is what's being taught to our nation today and in our schools today. This is not what the Bible teaches. <clears throat> Quote, he says, we shouldn't be required to be workers. Working in the labor market should be an option that we can choose to opt into, granted, if we determine it's worth our time and our added income. And then he says this, normal doesn't have to be an eight-hour workday, an eviction notice on your door if you can't pay your rent, and an empty fridge because you can't afford groceries. He said, so there's another option. Here's his options. Normal can be weekly, government, financial aid, universal health care, and choosing to work from home if you want to, or not at all. Now, as I looked at the article, this is pretty much what he's saying. If you want to work, work. But if you don't want to work, that's okay, because the government can take care of you. I want to point a little fact out to all of us here, because this applies in the government and it applies in the church. The government does not make any money, okay? The government only has money because they tax workers, and then they take that money and they use it for assistance for the needy people. Guys, it works the same way in the church. The church as an entity has no money. Where does the money come for the works of the church? Each of us individually. So just as if you don't have workers in the American workforce, if you didn't have workers within the church, there would be no money for those who were needy. I have to point that out. But simply what this guy is suggesting is, is straight up, for the most part, socialism. He's pushing the idea that if you're not earning a salary that you're happy with, uh, you don't have to work. You can be supported by the government. And that's not what we found in the past, and that's not what we find in the Bible. In the past, if you weren't happy with your job or, or the amount of money you made, you could work harder, you could learn another skill, and that would in turn uh, modify things. Let me point something else out. This is important. There are a number of jobs in our community in which people work, uh, and they do not do it for the level of income. Ministers, police officers, firemen, EMTs. There are a lot of people who they simply do their job because as a function in society, it's beneficial and they get pleasure and they get enjoyment from doing that. And so as I point this out, 
a lot of times people think that work is simply for a way to survive, and certainly that's part of it, but there are jobs out there and functions where people, they do it simply because it brings them enjoyment. Now, no matter what the world teaches or what people believe, it's important for the follower of God to go back and to realize that honest work, hard work has always been a godly concept. It's been taught from the very beginning. It's often taught throughout our scriptures. Uh, and God's followers, if you go back from the very beginning of time, they've been hard, dedicated workers. Let's go on over to Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to deal with a few of the things that are being promoted kind of in society, at least according to that article, uh, and show you where the Bible says that's not how the follower of God is to interact. Genesis 2.15, And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it, and to keep it. Now that word dress actually means to keep or to maintain it. So you're in this garden to keep or to maintain. And then the word keep there, if you look it up, actually means to protect and or to preserve. So God doesn't, He doesn't put Adam into this garden and basically say, hey, kick back. You don't have to do anything. You can take it easy. Everything's going to be handed to you and provided for you. He basically puts him there. And the garden was His responsibility to watch over, to protect, to work it. And part of the reason was it provided for his needs. Okay, so from the very beginning, the followers of God were hard workers. And that's, that, was the, uh, that was the intended plan, not for one to be idle, for one to be lazy. Instead, it included and still includes work and responsibility. And as we go back and we look at this idea of hard work, it's an extremely honorable concept uh, which existed prior to sin's entrance into the world. Now, I point that out because a number of people think that we only have to work because of Adam and Eve's sin. Now let's go on over to Genesis chapter 3, verse 17 through 19, and we'll see where they get this misunderstanding. Genesis 3, starting in verse 17. <clears throat> and unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground. For out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return. A lot of people read that and say, oh, well, his punishment for sin was that he had to work. No, work was already being done prior to sin. He was placed in that garden, and he was a hard worker. He was keeping it. He was maintaining it. It was providing for his sustenance. If he wanted to eat, he had to work. Okay? So work was already being done. However, what we do find here is, is his work became much more difficult, uh, and we see the same consequence, in essence, really for his wife. Hard work doesn't make work a bad thing. How many guys have ever done a job where it's, it was so hard at the time, but as you step back and you begin to look at what you accomplished, you could take pride in the very fact that, one, you endured through it, but, two, you can see the benefit and the accomplishment of what you've done. Just because it's hard doesn't make it a bad thing. There is something about accomplishing a task or a goal, and, and work really in general should bring each of us pride. Now, here's the thing, though. Just as there have always been hard workers, and there have, there have always been those... Who didn't want to work? There have always been those who, in essence, really abused the system. Now, I do want to point this out. In the past, you didn't see it quite as prevalent as, as you do today, uh, because in the, in the past, the only way to survive was to work. 
you didn't have a number of the programs that we have in place today. And so if you go back and think about it, in the past, the idea of a handout didn't exist, but what you did have was when people were frail, when they were weak, or when they were sick, especially within the church, families took care of them, right, as a whole. They didn't, they didn't look at that as the government's job. You think about even the Jews. The Jews took care of those who needed to eat, but what did they do? They left the corners of the fields unharvested, and if you wanted to eat, you could take pride in the fact that you actually went out and you worked the field, right? It wasn't your field, but the farmer left it there so you could harvest, you could do the work, and you could, you could provide for yourself. So even, even the Jewish system of providing for those who were struggling and needful mandated you worked for it. Why? I could be down on my luck, but I could at least take some pride in the fact that I worked for what, that I, what I had, even if it was, even if it was done out of generosity uh, and help. Now let's go on and look at the example of Jesus. Going over to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 1. I'll read down to verse 6. And he went out from thence and came into his own country, and his disciples follow him. And when the Sabbath day was come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, From whence hath this man these things? And what wisdom is this which is given unto him, that even such mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, and of Judah and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they were offended at him. Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid hands upon a few sick folk and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the villages teaching. Now in verse 5, we see that word work. That's not what I'm talking about here. Verse 5, what we have really in context is the miraculous, and that's a whole other topic we'd have to spend time on. But I do want to focus on verse 3. Is this not the carpenter's son? Is this not the carpenter? We learn an awful lot about Jesus as we begin to look through the Scriptures. It was very common, and it was standard within the Jewish life, that under your parents you were taught a skilled trade. The males were normally taken by their father and they were trained up in an occupation or they were, they were assigned to someone else and trained in an occupation. And as, as for the most part, the females, uh, they, were, they were taught to be keepers of the home. Now, we do find them doing work outside of the house also, but primarily they were keepers of the home and the men were brought up in a trade. And that's exactly what we learn here. Jesus was brought up in a trade. He was a carpenter and everybody knows that. And so what do we learn when we begin to look at Jesus right off the bat? Jesus was a worker, a hard worker. Matter of fact, I think Jesus' job was probably a little more strenuous than most people even realize. Jesus, the Son of God, was an extremely hard worker. And as a matter of fact, if you go back and look at this word carpenter in the Greek, the actual word here is tecton, and it's an interesting word. You find it quite a bit throughout our scriptures, but if you go back and look at other uh, ancient writings in Greek, here's what you find about that word tecton. It's not just used for a person who works with wood. It's actually used for a stonemason, for a blacksmith, for a carpenter, or a craftsman who would even work with bronze. And it's interesting even more so if you go back and study uh, that you'll realize that wood really was of scarcity in and around uh, the area there of Jerusalem, especially of Nazareth. And if you look at any of the houses that were built, I've shown pictures here in Bible study, 90% of their houses were all stone. Now, you did have wood, but wood was scarce. And so to support the beams and so forth, you had to use block. It's also interesting, if you go back and look, 
although they don't have a lot of trees right outside of Nazareth, within a mile and a half of Nazareth, you do actually have a stone quarry. So as you go back and you think about Jesus being a carpenter, Jesus did much more than just the idea we always see of him making wood cups or whatever. Jesus primarily would have been working often with stone. But what we learn in general was Jesus was a general laborer with his hands. He would have been multifaceted, working with stone, working with wood, and a number of things. And here's my point. Jesus, the Son of God, our Redeemer, the Messiah, this guy was a hard worker. And everybody around knew who he was, and they knew his occupation. And yet, he wasn't just a carpenter. Jesus had additional work. Listen to Luke 2.49. And he said unto them, How is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not that I must be about my Father's business? Jesus, at a very young age, knew exactly what his heavenly mission was. This is prior to him ever being fully brought up and taught in a trade. He would have even at this time have already been learning. But even knowing that he was the Messiah and that he had an, a heavenly mission didn't stop him from learning a trade. Jesus was a worker prior to his public ministry. And it, that would have been needful for Jesus. Now, I'm going to go over and actually look at a parable. Let's go on over to Matthew chapter 20. Uh, and this parable in and of itself is not designed to teach work ethic. That is not the purpose of the, par of the parable, and it's not why he chose it. However, Jesus did teach a parable, and he actually uh, taught a parable based on working. Now, if you don't know much about parables, the Greek word there is, this isn't in my notes, is parabole, and it means to lay something which is known next to something which is unknown. Jesus is going to take working, which everyone at that point would have worked, they needed to to survive. He's going to take the process of working, and he's going to lay that next to a spiritual truth to teach them something. And that's what we're going to learn here. But again, this is in relation to the kingdom. It's one of the kingdom parables. But we learn some other stuff from it. So follow along, Matthew chapter 20. I'm going to read verses 1 down to 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour, and he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Again he went out about the sixth and ninth hour, and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out, and found others standing idle, and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? And they say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. So when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto his steward, Call the laborers, and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But when the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden of the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a penny? Take that thine is and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is thine eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first and the first last, for many be called but few chosen. And we talked actually about this parable not too long ago in Bible study. Somebody mentioned it. And being a kingdom parable, here was really the point of it without spending a lot of time on the parable. All Christians are going to be regardless, are going to be rewarded regardless of how long they're in the kingdom. And really, guys, that should be a very, 
That should be a very comforting thought, right? That the person who has been a faithful Christian for 50 years is going to be rewarded, but likewise the person who maybe has only been a Christian a year or so and dies faithful is going to be rewarded. And that's really the idea behind as we look at this. But I do want to point some things out. In, in verses 1 through 5, you've got a man who is he's looking for laborers, and he goes out and he hires them. Then in verse 6, the question is asked, Why stand ye here all the day idle? What's he saying? Why aren't you guys working? Well, the question it really can be, it could either have been a rebuke for their laziness, or it's just an honest question. Why is it that you are not working? Let me go over to Proverbs 19.15. Slothfulness casteth into a deep sleep, and an idle soul shall suffer hunger. That's really what we also found as we read from Proverbs this morning. They give their answer of why they're not working, verse 7, because nobody has hired us. So here's what we learn as we begin to look at this parable. It seems, or at least implies to me, that they, they wanted to work, but they, they lacked opportunity. And... Guys, based on the numbers and many of the articles that I've read today, that's not really the case so much today. However, there isn't always enough work for those who are willing to work, especially when trades are very specific. And so it's possible that if you have a very specific trade, you may want to work, but it's going to take you longer to find work, or you may, you may struggle even finding work. But then again, there's also those who do not want to work. They simply refuse. Uh, and guys, this is... This is one of the very reasons that the church has uh, benevolence and governmental assistance. We realize there are people who, who do want to work but physically are not able. Now, if you go back into the early, we're not going to spend a lot of time on if you go back and look at the early, um, early empires and so forth, there wasn't a lot of governmental assistance. Now, when you look at the church, there has always been benevolence. And we'll touch on that here for a second. But... As time has passed, you have found that there are a number of places that do have, or a number of most societies have, actual benevolence. The church has benevolence, and then you find governments that have uh, governmental assistance, and it's for those that are unable to provide for themselves. It's not for those that just simply choose not to work. It's for those that legitimately have issues, and they cannot work, okay, due to sickness, age, whatever it is. But again, those, neither one of those systems... The church benevolence or governmental assistance today, neither one of those systems were ever designed for the lazy and the idle. That was never the point, okay? And let me point something else out before I get accused of it. The intent today really is not to try to make uh, anybody who's watching this or if they were here uh, and they're not physically able to work. It's not, the intent's not to make them feel uh, unimportant or to feel like they're less than anyone else. We acknowledge that there are those that, that are not able to work or that they struggle in life. And so in those cases, we fully understand that condition. But when somebody is able to work and they refuse to work and they just allow someone else, and, and basically without going into a lot, guys, when people simply refuse to work and they will not, they are, taking, they are taking money from people who are working. That money could be used. How many homeless people do we have today? How many people do we have that do not have food? Those people need to be taken care of, right? The ones that physically cannot take care of themselves. But there are other people who, they're taking that income. And guys, that's not right. It's, when a person refuses to work, the Bible teaches that it's shameful, disgraceful, and sinful. And that, that guys, that goes for whether you're working at home or whether you're in a, circular, a secular workplace, right? It, it's sinful and shameful for me if I go to work and I defraud the company that I work for in any way. 
whether it's not doing my job or whether it's physically stealing. But in both cases, if I'm not doing what I agreed to do, that's stealing. It'd be the same thing if I worked out of the house. If I was a stay-at-home wife and I never did any of the stuff that I needed to do to be a keeper of the home, that's just as bad as if I was doing it in my secular workplace. Now, there's not, a lot of, there's not a lot of time for me to spend on slothfulness, and I'm not really going to. However, when you go back and look through the scriptures, you'll teach that slothfulness, laziness, idleness is not approved by God. Now, let's go and look at Paul and the Thessalonians, because we're going to bring this a little bit closer. This may be a little bit more blunt for some. But let's begin to look at the church there in Thessalonica, because they had an issue. Uh, and I'm not suggesting that I don't even understand why they had it. I do. Uh, I, I guess I, and maybe even you, if we were alive at that time, we could have fallen prey to this. Uh, it's actually happened recently. So let's go and look at the Thessalonians. Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and notice verses 2 through 3. Uh, Paul writes, We give thanks to God always for you all. He must have been Southern for y'all. Making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope, in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. Now, Paul starts off with the church here in Thessalonica, and here's what we learn. As a whole, this group of, of Thess the Thessalonians here, they weren't lazy people. These guys were actually hardworking Christians. Uh, I don't believe that uh, even today in our society that the, the majority of people in the United States, or specifically Christians within the church, I don't believe the majority of them are lazy people. However, we do know that there are some... Many of you have probably not maybe seen it as much as I have, but I have seen a number of people in the world, as much as I have seen some people within the church, try to abuse, abuse the benevolence of the church. In essence, they didn't want to do anything, but they wanted you to take care of them and pay for everything that they wanted. And I have seen that quite a bit. That's not what we have initially here with Paul as he begins to talk about the main group of the body there of the Thessalonians. These guys are hard workers, and he appreciated them. Now let's go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, 6 through 10. But now when Timotheus came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live if ye stand, stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. I read that to, to, to simply reinforce the fact that Paul thought a great deal of the Thessalonians. Paul, these guys we've already shown, were hard workers. He talks about their work of faith and their labor of love. We know that they as a congregation were a wonderful congregation. And... Let me, let me take a little sidetrack here. It seems to me oftentimes, and it happens to each of us, in life we know that we're supposed to focus on spiritual things, right? But we get caught up in worldly stuff. We get caught up in paying bills, and we get caught up in just trying to get enough food to survive and to get by day by day. And for many people, that's all they really think about life. It's simply work and, and physical things. Paul, it's interesting, in the next chapter, he begins to give them words of comfort but it's not about physical things, or it's not even talking so much about which their work of faith would have included teaching the gospel. He's not simply focusing on physical things. He takes them back to the idea of spiritual things. Let me pause for a second. Guys, I have to physically work every day, but you know what should be included with my physical work? My spiritual work. 
You may say, well, you're a minister, you have to do that. No, every one of us should be, we should be looking for people around us who want to know truth. I was telling my wife, I had a question, uh, I had a question about uh, leather work this week. I didn't go ask my wife. <laughs> I don't think she does any leather work. But there was a guy that I work with who I knew was a scout. I don't know if anybody here was a scout. And so I went and asked him, do you ever do any leather work? And he said, well, yeah. And so he began to tell me how to do something. Why do I point that out? When people know you have a skill set or an understanding of knowledge, who do they come look to? They're going to come and ask you. I get questions all the time from, pe from people saying, hey, I heard you were a minister. Can you answer this? Yeah, we have physical work to do, but it's, it's joined together with our spiritual work. Paul takes them back to the spiritual side to comfort them. Let's go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13 through 18. And, and this basically this passage of comfort is going to lead to an issue within the church. He says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, that word proceed, them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words." Now, just as a number of teachings within our scriptures have either been misunderstood, misapplied, abused, or changed by man, it appears that that's really what happens with Paul's teaching here. And it led to a serious issue in the church, which in the next letter to the Thessalonians, Paul has to address. And this ties back to our topic of what does the Bible teach about work. So let's go over to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 6 through 10. And I kind of had to do that lead-in because we're not looking at a congregation of of slackers who are not workers. But there is an issue within the church, and I hate to say it, there's some that meet that qualification. Follow along, 2 Thessalonians 3, starting in verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which he received of us. Now you may say, well, what tradition is that? He's going to go on. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we... For we behaved not ourselves disorderly among you, neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Why is Paul bringing that up? Well, here's the question that we have to ask. And I'm not going to give you the answer, but here's the question. Did the Thessalonians misunderstand in the first letter when he talked about the return of Christ? And did they think that the return of Christ was imminent? And if that's the case, did they stop working simply to sit back and wait for the imminent or immediate return of Jesus? It appears so. I can't say 100% that was the cause, but that's what it appears to be. And I bring this up because it has happened here. There have been a number of religious bodies here within the U.S. who have taught an immediate, imminent return of Jesus Christ. And what we have actually found is within some of those groups, if you go back and read, many of them, they quit, they quit working. They, they're waiting for Jesus to come back. And they're not going to spend time on physical, earthly things when there's a big spiritual issue taking place. All right, They're going to wait on Jesus. 
I actually read an account where a guy had gone out and he had maxed all of his credit. He thought Jesus was coming back this week. You guys have seen the signs on the, they used to put them out all the time. Was it uh, Harold Camping and those guys would put signs out. You know, Jesus is coming back and they'd give the date. This guy literally believed the billboard. He racked up every one of his credit cards because, I mean, if Jesus is coming back, it's not like I got to pay him back. So he racked up his credit cards and he went and spent all of his money. And guess what? Lo and behold, Jesus didn't show back up. But he, he quit going to work. He racked up his cards. Is that what the Thessalonians were thinking? Well, I'm going to be honest. Let's put you guys put yourself in the Thessalonians' uh, shoes for just a second. If you knew, you knew without a doubt Jesus is coming back tomorrow, you going to worry about working today? I see, I see Larry shaking his head. I, I'm with Larry. If I know for a fact Jesus is coming back tomorrow, I'm not going to go to work. Matter of fact, I'm going to hang out with my family. I'm going to enjoy some of the earthly pleasures that I have one more day probably some black licorice, but I'm not going to work, right? And that's what I'm thinking probably was taking place here. But here's the thing. Paul never gave a timing for when Jesus would return. He said it would happen. He didn't say it would happen imminently, as probably some of the preterists today would possibly suggest. Peter said, it's going to be like a thief in the night. And Paul never gave an exact timing. Listen to 2 Peter 3.10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. You don't know when a thief's coming. In the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Now Peter says you don't know when he's coming back. Paul says he's coming back, but he never says it's imminent. And now you've got some of the Thessalonians who are not working. And I'm wondering. Let's focus on what Paul did say. 2 Thessalonians 3.6, Paul mentioned the tradition re received from us. His point was to be hard workers, and he basically goes on and explains that. Verses 9 through 10, he talks about the example of hard work, and then in verse 10, he gives this command. If a person isn't going to work, they shouldn't eat. Listen to 1 Timothy 5.8. But if any provide not for his own, and especially for, the, for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. Can you guys imagine what people would say about me if, uh, if I never worked at all? Uh, my family lived in squalor, and I went around and I told everybody that I was a Christian, but I didn't take care of my family, uh, and they struggled to have shoes on their feet and clothes and, all, and food and all that. People would, people would say, what is wrong with that guy? And I wouldn't be a good representative of a follower of God. There are people, though, who act like that. Now, there are also people who need benevolence. And as I've already mentioned, and I've seen it a number of times, um, people have tried to take advantage of benevolence. One of the things, uh, I had somebody actually ask me this not long ago. I'm almost done, guys. One of the things I had somebody ask me was about money for people that come to the building. Uh, for anybody watching this, I'm just going to let you know. So we as a congregation never, ever, ever give money, ever to non-members of the congregation, ever. We don't know what they're going to spend it on. We don't know if they're going to uh, do things that would dishonor uh, what the Scriptures teach, and so we never give money. Now, if someone comes here and says, I don't have clothes, in the past we have actually gotten together as a body and said, let's donate personal money and go out and buy them what they need and give it to them, right? Because if a guy says he needs clothes and food, we'll give them clothes and food uh, out of our own personal uh, finances. That's how we were going to do it last time. And the, and the person in question at that time said, you know what, I don't want that. I want the money. I don't want the clothes. He said he needed clothes and food, but when we said we're going to take a collection up amongst ourselves here 
and we're going to go buy what you need and bring it to you. And he said, no, I don't want that. I want the money. So that's why we don't give money, right? We will buy you what it is that you need. You need medicine, we'll take you to the store. We'll pay for it at CVS or Walgreens. We're not going to give you money. And that's because sometimes people, I, I know this is hard to believe, they try to take advantage of the church. And I know this one's even hard to believe. There are those that would take advantage of the government and get money from them that they, they don't rightly deserve. I know that's, again, hard to believe. So what we see taking place in the world is also taking place in the church. People are abusing benevolence. Now, before I'm accused, am I saying everybody? No, there are people that need benevolence. And as a matter of fact, if you go back and read the scriptures, the scriptures actually teach who is worthy of benevolence from Christians. And there are requirements for that. I know a lot of people don't think there are, but there are requirements for who gets benevolence. Just like the government has requirements, right? They make you fill all of that. You don't just walk in and say, hey, I need, I need $200. And they're like, oh, yeah, the government would love to give you. No, you fill out a bunch of paperwork and you show that you qualify to receive benevolence. The scriptures aren't any different than the government. There's a system of who qualifies, right? There are some people, though, in both, both groups, worldly and within the church, who try to abuse the system. And so one of the things I want to say right now is, is it's okay for us. I know people feel that. It's okay for us to say somebody's asking for something, and no, we're not going to give it to them. Why? They may not meet the requirements of those who uh, receive benevolence. Matter of fact, they may be amongst the group here that's not willing to do any work, but they want to come and take the money from you when you did work. That's not fair, is it? Not only is it not fair, it's not scriptural. Listen to Ephesians 4.28. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. All right? There are needy people that, that uh, need to receive benevolence. However, there are also those who refuse to work. Here, he says you, you need to work with your hands so you can give to those who are needy. He doesn't say so you can give to those who are lazy and idle and they want a big screen TV but they don't want to work for it. We're talking about needy people. Okay, From the very beginning, God has valued honest hard work. That's what we find from the followers of God. They were hard, diligent workers. Matter of fact, guys, every one of us that works in a secular job, our employers should think very highly of us as Christians because we don't do what a lot of the other workers will do. We work harder than everyone. We're dedicated. Uh, it doesn't matter if my boss tells me to do paperwork or run a machine or sweep the floors. I don't really care. I'll do whatever he tells me to do. Why? They've been good to me. They provide insurance. Uh, I'm, I'm not high-minded. I'll do whatever they tell me to do. Uh, and I, I would hope that when they look at me, they don't just see me as a, as a company man, but they see me as a Christian who is a hard worker who is going to do what's asked of him. And that's what we find when we go back and we look at the early Christians. They were hard workers. They were benevolent to those that needed it. That's part of the reason that they were out working with their hands, so they could help provide to the needy. But guys, we learned real quick that there are requirements for those um, who are benevolent, and he made it very clear that if you're not willing to work, you shouldn't eat. Matter of fact, if we don't take care of our families and provide, we're worse than an infidel. With that being said, hardships come. Sometimes people struggle. And I don't think, I'll just, I'll just use an example because Larry won't get mad. Uh, Larry's not a slacker. I don't think he's ever been a slacker. We hear about Larry working all the time. If Larry, though, were to ever come to the congregation, if we, if we had a men's meeting and Larry came and said, 
something bad happened, I don't know, let's say it was, let's say it was a fire or whatever, and, you know, he, he's doing the best he can to get by, but he needs a little bit. I don't think John or me or Jerry or any of us would even think twice about giving Larry whatever it is that he actually needed. Now, if Larry comes and says, hey, I need the newest, I'm not a gamer, I need the newest Sega system or Nintendo system or whatever, I'm, I'm really about, I'm about $300 shy, so can you, you know, can you front me? No, I'm not giving him any money for a gaming system. But I know Larry, and Larry wouldn't ask for that. But if Larry needed something, if Larry needed food, there isn't one person here who wouldn't give, give Larry what he needed. That's part of what we do as Christians. We work hard so that we can help supply to those who are benevolent and so we can carry out the work of the church. Now, I know that I focused a lot today on work, uh, and that's because, really, I started reading that article, and I, I'll tell you guys, I was agitated. Uh, I was agitated because it's certainly not what the Bible teaches, but it's becoming more prominent. And even though I focused on physical work, I do want to go back and touch really what we see with Jesus. Jesus was involved in physical work, but He knew He had a greater mission. And that was to go out and do the work of His Father. And guys, we ought, to be, we ought to have the same minds. Our mind, no matter what it is that we're doing, whether we're working in the home or whether we're working secularly, secularly we ought to be hard workers, but we realize there's also a spiritual work that needs to be taking place. And that can happen anywhere, whether we're at work, whether we're at the store, whether we're at home with friends. At all times, we ought to be thinking that. We should be out teaching the gospel. We want people to become Christians. And so as I draw this to a close, that would be my concern for anyone here. It's part of the reason that we end the same way that we always do. And it's not complicated. It's just explaining very briefly what the gospel is. And I'm going to go back and explain how they did it in the first century, what we find in the Bible. People were teaching the gospel. People believed it. Hebrews 11:6. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah, uh, John 8:24. He says, if you don't believe that I'm the Messiah, you're going to die in your sins. They talked about sin and the consequence of sin, Romans 3:23 and Romans 6:23, and people were told to repent of their sins, Luke 13:3 and 5. And then they were told to confess Christ, Romans 10, 9, and 10, and then be immersed in water for the remission of their sins, Mark 16, 15, and 16, Acts 2, 38, and a number of other passages. And then when they obeyed the gospel by finally submitting as the final act to baptism in water, they were added to the church by the Lord Himself, Acts 2, verse 47. Not a very complicated process. Taught about Jesus, understood about sin and the church, uh, understood about how to have their sins forgiven, uh, they confessed Him as, as Messiah. And guys, once they obeyed the gospel, they were added to the church. I know today there are many different things being taught about how to become a Christian, but that's what the Bible teaches. If you're here and you've not done that, I'd love to sit down and study with you. If you're watching this online, you can contact us, you can call us or email us, and we'd love to study with you. Uh, as I draw this to a close, that's my concern. Are you a Christian today? If you are a Christian, look back and ask yourself, are there any areas you're struggling in? One of those would actually be your work ethic. But if there's a way that we can help you in any way, you can come forward as we're letting a song of invitation.